Are you happy to be here tonight? <clears throat> I am to Isaiah chapter 1, if you would please. Isaiah uh, chapter 1. And I think a lot of times when we look into history, we see something that is repeated over and over again. People tend to forget. As we get older, sometimes we suffer from that forgetfulness. I remember a story of a, of a couple very advanced in years, and the man very nicely said to his wife, I'm going to make you breakfast this morning. She said, okay, uh, look, this is what I want. I want uh, eggs, two eggs, over easy, crispy bacon, and toast with no butter. You better write that down, because he wanted to bring her breakfast in bed. He said, no, it's okay, I got it, I got it. And so he went down, and he cooked for a while, and he came up. He said, here's your hamburger with cheese. She said, you forgot the French fries. <laughs> what I'm saying is too many times we all know, oh, I forgot that. Oh, you know what? I should have thought about that particular instance because that would have helped me now and where I am. One of the biggest problems that we have as Christians, and even as Americans, is that we tend to forget. Well, I want to speak on the fact that we need to remember. We need to remember God, and we need to remember how God plays His role in our country. It says here in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1, the vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Now look at this in verse 3. It says, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. He said, Even a Dumb animal, so to speak, remembers who their master is. We have a little dog. She's a Lakeland Terrier. Her name is Zoe. <clears throat> and Zoe, sometimes we have to leave her with some friends when we're on the road. And when I come back, Zoe doesn't wag her tail. She wags her whole body when she sees me. She always remembers who I am, you see. And God is telling the nation of Israel, his people, that even the ox... And the ass knows their master, but Israel has forgotten who their master is. It goes on to say in verse 4, you can feel the pain in God's voice as through the Holy Spirit, Isaiah writes his thoughts down all sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. And look at this now. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. Mark that. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate, is overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. And that's a very vulnerable spot. By the way, that's where America is tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
As we bow before you now, we thank you so much that you are the God that hears our prayers. That, Father, you answer prayers in miraculous ways. That you think about even the smallest things that we pray about, Lord, to the very large and ominous requests that we ask of you. Tonight, Lord, as we collectively come to you, to the throne of grace, we pray that you would enter into this service through and by that holy unction of your blessed and holy ghost, that your presence would be readily evident, that you would move in the minds and hearts of we, your people, and, oh God, that you would create and maintain a hedge of protection around this assembly and bind off the wicked and the evil one and help, Lord, the cares and burdens, the aches and pains of life just to dissipate, to disappear for a while, that we can focus on these eternal truths. Give us that liberty from within, Lord. And Father, as I step back, we pray once again that you would step forward, articulate my speech, clarify my thoughts. But most of all, Lord, everything that's said and done might be an honor and glory unto thee. Oh, God, we are so thankful for the nation that you've given us. And, Lord, for the gospel that can be preached freely, oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to do what we must do to keep that torch of liberty burning bright, that the gospel can continue to go forward, that we can see souls saved, baptized in deep water, grow in grace, and then reproduce themselves. Lord, we pray for a special blessing tonight, for something miraculous, Lord, in the minds and hearts of we thy people, we'll be very careful to give you all the praise and glory for what you're about to do. For we ask this in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, Heavenly Father, by the power and the authority and the merit that is in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I love the fact that in the Bible, God, he talks to himself, says of himself for our benefit certain things. I don't have time through them all, but let me just give you a few of them tonight. He said, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living thing of all flesh, and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. I'm glad about that. I'm glad that he said, and the bow shall be in the cloud. I'm glad every time we see the rainbow, we understand that's God's remembrance of what he said he would never do again. I'm glad that it says in Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 42, Then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham. Will I remember, and I will remember the land. And may I say this, well, there will never be a two-state solution over in Israel. That's God's land. He wants only one tenant on that land, and that's his people. Anytime any president tries to do something to the people of Israel, watch out, America. And so I hope this gets the president. Mr. President, please do not touch Israel. Because if we touch Israel, God will touch us. Man says to God, O oh, Lord God, turn not thy face of thine anointed. Turn not away, excuse me, thy face of thine anointed. Remember the, mercy, the mercies of David, thy servant. It says in Psalm 25 and verse 6, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate 
on thee in the night watches. I remember thee, God, in the night watches. Psalm 63 and verse 6. I remember the, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the wonders of old. We sang about some of those tonight, did we not? It's amazing to look into nature and see God. Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I love Luke 24 and verse 6. He is not here, but is risen. Remember, remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. So God says to man, for our admonition, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He tells us, forgetful man, and thou shalt remember, and thou, shalt, thou wast a bondman in Egypt, and thou shalt observe and do these statutes. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee thy elders, and they will tell thee. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, and his wonders, and the judgments of his mouth. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. I want you to see what's going on right here in Isaiah chapter 1 is the fact that they have forgotten God. And God says to them, the whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. You know, people don't fall off the cliff overnight. They start, first of all, forgetting who God is. They lay off a little bit of their Bible study or their prayer life or they lay out a church and they don't have that connection with God or God's people and they start forgetting who God is here. Then it goes the next step. Once they forget, then they forsake God with their hearts. And when that happens, then they start following false gods with their life. And that is something that occurs individually, collectively, nationally. That's what's going on in our country today. Our nation, by and large, in many instances, has forgotten God. And we, God's people, must be that remembrance we must be the conscience of this country. Hold your hand there, and if you would, please turn with me to the verse that I just read, and let's look at it in context here. And in Isaiah chapter 46, if you would, please, and verse 9, because what God is saying right here is remember who I am. Remember the former things of old. Remember history. And by the way, we all know that history is his story. Problem is, and I was talking to some dear folks today, the problem with history is the thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. And if you don't learn from history, you are bound to make the same mistakes that someone already made, and that simply is stupid. Someone says, Brother Harding, please don't use the word stupid. Sometimes my wife says that. It's provocative. I tell my wife, that's why I use it. <laughs> the etymology of the word stupid is from the Germanic term stupig, meaning the runt of the litter. It's runt reasoning. It's only looking at this much. 
We're supposed to have a circumspect walk. One of our presidents said, we're doing a vain thing if we do not know from whence we came and what we've been all about. When I go into Washington, D.C., one of my favorite places to take people is the National Archives that houses our original Declaration of Independence, Constitution, Bill of Rights. I mean, it's the documents that those men signed. On the outside, etched in granite are these words. The past is prologue. I mean, you want to know what's going to come? Then look at the past. The benefit of history is just that. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9 says, The thing that hath been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. Is no, there is no new thing under the sun. God says he wants us to be students of history. That's why, folks, may I say, if you have God in his story, it's a vibrant, wonderful thing. The problem with so many people, if they don't like history, is that their history teacher took God out. And how can you take God out of his story? But he says here in Isaiah 46 and verse 9, God says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there's none else. I am God and there's none like me. Doing what? I love this, declaring the end from the beginning. Hey, he lives in eternity. He doesn't declare the beginning from the end. He declares the end from the beginning. Amen? Because he knows all things, you see. And he says, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, say, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. He goes on to say, look, I'm going to call a ravenous bird. If you folks don't straighten up and do right, I'm going to bring you into judgment. And you start stout-hearted men that have turned from righteousness, I'm going to bring you low. By the way, he's saying that to America tonight. He's saying that to us. If we don't start remembering who he is, you say, Brother Harding, oh, we don't see our entire country coming to a point where we see them remembering him. It doesn't take our country. It takes God's people. Remembering him in all their thoughts, amen, and increasing who they are for God and increasing their Bible study and increasing their prayer life and doing what they know to do, you see, and being a testimony to others. I, I love the fact that when we look at history, it, it goes around and around and around again. And when you see what God says over and over in the Bible, that which hath been is now, and that which is to be has already been. And God requireth, he says in Ecclesiastes, that which is past. That means we need to understand what has preceded us. That's why I'm so excited that Brother Fugit has asked me to come and to teach on the Constitution, because if we want to know what's coming, we must be students of the past. If we don't, may I say, we and our children especially will suffer. And what we understand is something that I believe we've all heard one person or another phrase, and that is this, God's given us a space of grace. He's given us a time frame in which we can 
do what we need to do to get our nation back to a remembrance of who God is because we're suffering from a dementia. We're walking around. Our young people don't know who God is. Our young people don't know how he fits into the story of, a, of America. We're in the postmodernist society where the people, the young people, are being told there's no meta-narrative, there's no big story to be a part of. May I say this? There is a big story to be a part of because the greatest thing in life is the fact that there is a God and the greatest question in life is how do I fit into his plan for my life? Amen. And we don't even do that. We don't even begin to see that until we see God move in and start working through our lives. And may I say this? Our history, you heard your pastor, our history belongs to us. It was Christians that started this country. It was not the heathen that started this nation. It was God's people, 102, 102 separatists, we call them pilgrims, that got onto a little ship. They were a church. They had lost their pastor. He had his head lopped off because he had left the Church of England, and the head of the Church of England at that time was the king, still is, by the way. And so the, the associate pastor said, I kind of like my head where it is. So we're going to get on a ship, we're going to go to the new world. And may I say, those people understood something, that they were founding a nation by the will of God for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. America was given to us for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason why those pilgrims were brought onto that ship was because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are the beneficiaries of what they did. It's kind of interesting to me even when we look at the fact that when they got to the new world not used to the rigors of the new world one half of them died and they didn't learn their lesson by the second time the winter rolled around the second winter rolled around another half of them died and then William Bradford said I've been reading my Bible and we need to stop uh, operating under this communal concept communism socialism it's amazing to me, and I'm going to go through some of this on Wednesday night, that one of the front runners to the presidency of the United States was Bolshevik Bernie, a, a communist. He says he was a democratic socialist. Yeah, so did Hitler. He said that about himself. So did Stalin say that about himself. And we need to realize that when William Bradford told the pilgrims, look, we're not going to do this anymore. I, I looked in the Bible, and we're going to split things up, and, and you're going to have some land, and you're going to get some seed. And everyone started to work their own land. He said, because if you don't work your land, if you don't plant, if you don't harvest, you're not going to have anything to eat. And you're going to die, because if we keep on this way, we're all going to die. And it is interesting, when we start doing things God's way, when we start doing the things that God wants us to do, he blesses us. He say, what do you mean? There was an Indian, a Native American, that walked into the village by the name of Squanto that knew English. Tell me, that's not the providence of God. He had been caught by the British and brought over to Great Britain, learned English, and then went back and somehow, through a series of circumstances, got back to his tribal heritage, but he remembered English. And so when they started doing things God's, God's way, he just wandered into the village and said, welcome. And he started to teach them how to plant. 
how to use fish as fertilizer, by the way, how to fish, how to hunt, and all these things that they needed to do. Isn't it interesting when God's people start doing things God's way, he blesses. Amen. That's the story of America, amen? And they had so much food by the time the third winter rolled around, they said, hey, we need to thank God. And America Thanksgiving was born because of that book right there, amen? Because they did things God's way. These are things that are not being passed on to our young people that we need to understand once again. It's up to us to bring them, the next generation, to an understanding of that this is a country born and bred by God's Word. And we see our judiciary now completely gone off the tracks since Oliver Wendell Holmes started this thing that we call precedent. And what happened in this court case and that court case decides on what's going to happen in this court case over here. And the law, the basic law from a biblical standpoint is no longer there. And law libraries have grown exponentially. And God says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. But I want to tell you, there's hope too, because right now, your pastor and I went and visited the majority leader of the Senate, and he and the Senate has put in to our judicial system over 180 constitutionalists. I don't know about you, that gets me very excited. And this president has appointed two Supreme Court justices. You say, Brother Harding, what does that mean to us? Let me show you. If you would, please go back to Isaiah chapter 1. Are you with me tonight? Say amen. amen. This is exciting. This is unprecedented. We've never seen this in the history of our country. So many justices, constitutional justices, put into district courts, federal justices that will be there for 30, 40 years. Now, why should we get excited about that? I'm going to show you right now from God's Word because it says in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 26, look at this, and I will restore thy judges as at the first and thy counsels as at the beginning. Afterward, thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. You see how God brings righteousness back to a people through and by the law. I don't know about you, that gives me great sense of hope for our country. Amen. Even the Ninth District Court, who was, was, it was infamously liberal, has brought back now to the center. That means all of these social challenges that fly into the face of a thrice holy God are going to start being removed. I'm glad about that because it goes back to what Thomas Jefferson said when he was looking at the judiciary, even in his day, starting to go awry. And he said, I tremble for my country when I realize that God's wrath will not always slumber. This will take some of the wrath of God off of us. And I'm so happy that we have a man by the name of Mitch McConnell that's standing his ground and doing what he can do where he is for the good of our country. Amen? Now, what we have to realize is this, folks, when we look to the past and we start remembering, it's all 
again, very biblical. Look with me over to Joshua chapter 4. When I go into Washington, D.C., I see all these monuments, memorials. I, I grew up right outside of Washington, D.C., and I started going into Washington, D.C. when I was just 12 years old. I, I would ride a bus, and I'd just walk around, and I could run basically into any of the doors leading into the Capitol. And they would just pat me on the head and say, have a good time, because this is the people's house. The capital of the United States, this was, you know, when we were, had a much freer society. And they would just let me wander through. And, and many times I, I went in and I, and I sat down in committee hearings. I did that uh, as a teenager just to try to learn some things. You say, it sounds kind of boring. It was fascinating to me because I realized that the steerage of this nation was right there. And so I started learning all the way. And, and one thing that I realized, it's so unique in our country, when they found that precipice, when they found that, that, that area, I should say, the highest point on Capitol Hill, they came to George Washington. They said, sir, we have found the place for your house. It's the highest point on Capitol Hill. And true to form, George Washington said, if you found the highest place on Capitol Hill, that's not where my house is going to be built. That is where the people's house is going to be built. Because this is going to be a nation for the people. Look, don't listen to these revisionist historians that try to malign George Washington. He was a godly man. He had a godly mother. He was walked in praying on his knees more than any of our founding fathers. And in fact, Isaac Potts in that famous rendition of George Washington when he's praying at Valley Forge in black and white with his eyes open... Isaac Potts, simply by listening to him pray, went home and told his wife, I just heard the general of the Continental Army that's challenging our king, and I didn't want to move because I felt I'd bump into God. And with men praying like that and getting a hold of God as he was, hey, Great Britain's going to lose, and they're going to win, and my dear, we're changing sides tonight. That's America right there. Amen? And how the prayers of God's people and the prayers of the leadership of this country. Look, I'm glad there's some people in Washington, D.C. that still pray on their knees. I'm glad there's people in Washington, D.C. And they, they may not be the majority, but we don't need the majority. All we need is that minority. Amen? But I want you to see this in Joshua chapter 4 and verse 1. Are you with me tonight? Say amen. It says this, and look at it with me. It's amazing. Joshua chapter 4 and verse 1, It came to pass when all the people were clean, passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of, out of the people, out of every tribe of man, command you them, say, saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones. You shall lead them, carry them over, with you and leave them in the lodging place we shall lodge this night. And Joshua called the 12 men. He prepared the linebackers of the nation of Israel, okay? Picked up those stones, carried them across, and they piled them up. And the reason why was because Joshua said in time to come, there is going to be a need. There's going to be a need that we must remember what God has done here. And these stones will remind us of this very thing. And so they did that, and they took those stones and, and brought them over to the uh, east side of Jordan. And the reason why was because later on, 
when a child and their daddy was walking along and the child would see those stones, he'd pull in his dad's britches and say, Dad, what are those over there? His dad, by the Jordan River as it was rushing past, would look at his little son and say, Well, son, I wish you could have been here. I wish you could have seen as our entire nation came up to the brink of Jordan how God's power pushed the waters back. Hey, the Jordan's rushing by. The little boy looks at that Jordan. I mean, it is coming by at a tremendous speed. And God pushed Jordan back, and son, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of our God moved in, and we followed. And then God led us in battle after battle. We saw the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. Maybe told him the story that God told him to march around six times completely silent, and that's a tall order for a Jew. You get six Jews in a room, you get 12 opinions. I love the people, of the, but they're very, very opinionated, and they love to talk. Amen. For them to be silent. And then he tells his little boy all the things. You see what's going on? Let me show you. Look over to Psalm 78. Are you with me tonight? Say amen. Psalm 78, because this is what exactly what God is trying to basically get us to remember again today, how we do what we do. It says in Psalm 78, verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline, thine, incline your ears unto the words of my mouth. I, I will open, in verse 2 of Psalm 78, I will open my mouth in a parable and utter dark sayings of old. There's history right there which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come three things. Look at it. The praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Why? that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Why? Look at verse 7. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. You know the problem with America is? Why the young people are all wanting socialism? It's because we've forgotten to show our young people exactly what God told the nation of Israel to show their young people. The wonders of God. His mighty works. We once at this particular area of life when a young person was in their history class, we would tell them about the wondrous things that God had done. Look at the old history books from the 17 and 1800s. It's nothing but God. And then he was taken out. And now we have a bunch of young people that want socialism. And the reason why is because we have not shared with them these amazing things that God has done. The praises that we should always be putting up to God, His strength, His wonderful works that He hath done, because He did establish a testimony. The memorials in Washington, D.C., they're there not just for historical reasons of circumstances, it's because of who God is. You take a line and you draw it from the Capitol down to the Lincoln and from the White House over to the Jefferson, it forms a perfect cross. And the apex of that cross is the Washington Monument. 
that's 555 feet high. The number of God's grace. At the top, the capstone in Laos Dio, only visible to heaven. Those words mean praises to God because our founding fathers wanted every time God looked down on the capital city and he saw those words. They wanted, at, even though God doesn't need the reminding, they wanted to be a tribute that this nation was founded for the praise and the glory of God. We need to once again remember these things and understand these things. Once again, we need to remember that we must be the blameless and the harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom we, we are the only ones that are going to be there giving the light and the salt, holding forth the word of life. Why? Because we are the, the lights of the world. That's why when your pastor came and we just walked into the areas of Washington, D.C., just the presence of God's people make a difference. Just the presence of God's people speaks before we do. And we, as God's people, if we lose recognition that God's hand in our culture, God's hand in our nation is everything, if we lose the idea that we have a dependence upon him, there's no way that our nation will last. George Washington said that. You know what Karl Marx said on the other side? Karl Marx said the same basic thing. He said this, take away the heritage from a people and they're easily persuaded. I must bring this to a close. Let me show you in Judges chapter 2 and verse 7 how the people of Israel fared. Because you see, when you start basically moving from one generation to another, well, Ronald Reagan said this, if, if we do not pass on the amazing aspect of our country from one generation to another, we're always just that one generation away from losing our freedom. We don't basically give it to them through our DNA, through our blood system. It must be taught. It must be given to them in so many different ways. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 7 it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua had seen all the works of the Lord, that he did it for Israel. And Joshua, the son of the nun, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord in verse 8 of Judges 2, died being 110 years old. And look to verse 10 for sake of time. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them. Look at this. Here it is, the three points of that downward digression. They knew not the whole head was sick. They knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baal, Balaam. And they forsook whole head sick, the whole heart faint. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. And here's the third downward step. And followed other gods, the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, and the Lord was against them. Say, Brother Harding, why do you have a God and country ministry? I don't want to see America on the auction block. I don't want to see America 
being sold to our enemies. By the way, that's the only way that America is going to fall, is if God takes his hand off of this country. And don't think that he wouldn't do it if he didn't. Look, he didn't spare his people. Only difference between Israel and America is once his hand is off America, it's over. Israel, it's an everlasting covenant. He's going to restore them and restore them as he has all down through biblical history. So what is the hope, Brother Harding? Here's the hope, okay? Back in Isaiah chapter 1, and I'm, I'm just about done. Are you with me tonight? It says in Isaiah chapter 1, I love this, it's an exception. And we are an exception because, as I've already said, we're the only other nation in the history of mankind that started from the premise of God's word. Only two nations in all the annals of man's history, Israel and America. And we're not a theocracy. By, by the way, we're not a democracy either. And I'm not going to go into that. I'll go into that maybe on Wednesday. We're a republic. It's to the republic for which it stands one nation under God. Amen. But most people don't even know the difference between a democracy and a republic. Even a lot of our good conservative people don't know the difference as they should and refer to this as a constitutional democracy. It is not. Nowhere in the Constitution is democracy ever mentioned. But a republican form of government is guaranteed to every state. But it says here, and I want you to see this, the exception in verse 9, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. See, God, a remnant is a small thing as it is already. And God could have said remnant, and that would have been sufficient. But he didn't. He said small remnant, and that would have been sufficient. But he didn't even say that, did he? He said except for a very small remnant. See, God wants to know who the remnant is. And we're going through a testing time right now in our nation with this virus. God wants to see who the remnant is, who's going to stand up against the fear of man, because the fear of man bringeth a snare. And God doesn't give the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we need to have that power for our country. We need to have that love for people, and we need to think right. And this is the mind of Christ right here. Amen? Isn't it wonderful? We don't have to think our thoughts. I don't want to think my thoughts. My thoughts are boring. Amen? People ask me, what do you think? It doesn't make a difference what I think. And then I go to the next step. I said, and by the way, it doesn't make a difference what you think. But let's see what God thinks. Amen. Amen. And that's where we need to hang our hats, so to speak. And so we need to understand that God just needs that very small remnant to do something. May I say this? We need to get to a point where we are weeping over our country. Amen. We need to get to a point where we're weeping over these young people and weeping even over the liberals in Washington, D.C. They're not the enemy. They're the patient. The enemy is old smutty face. When has it been? When was the last time? And I've, look, I've seen the Capitol. It just was renovated inside and out. It's beautiful. I want to ask you, when was the last time you wept over our nation? Well, Brother Harding, that's patriotism. Yeah, the Lord wept over his nation's capital, did he not? We need to get in our mind and our heart that patriotism is our faith nationalized. When was the last time you came to an old-fashioned altar and you just begged God, oh, Lord, please have mercy on our country and help me to be the conscience of our nation and help me to learn more about our country so that I can teach the next generation so I can be an example because I'll guarantee you many times you don't even know mom dad you don't even know how much your young people are watching you and the decisions that you make in situations just like this they learn fear or courage 
as your pastor so amazingly portrayed this morning through that message. May we be courageous for God. May we just once in a while get to a point where we say, you know, it's been a while since I've had a burden for my country and prayed for my nation. What about it? When, as your pastor said, I gave that invocation for that warship for Woody Williams, a flamethrower operator that got so close to dying that he felt the bullets skimming off of his tank on Iwo Jima. If they had just gotten one bullet to bounce into that tank, he would have blown up a human fireball. But he cleared out seven Japanese pillboxes and won the day for liberty. And when I look at those men that have literally laid down their life on the line, I said, you know, it doesn't make any difference what I need to do. No matter what that is, humility, praying, weeping over my country, it's worth it comparatively in the fact that they literally laid down their life for me. They ran into the face of machine gun fire. Can we not walk to an old-fashioned altar and say, oh, God, I need you to break my heart from my country and the state that we're in and the fear that I see in some people's faces and help me to stand for the truth of who we are because of who you are. We cannot allow ourselves to forget God, to forsake God, to start following false gods. And may we take this lesson tonight as God says, and I close, for the transgression of the land, many are the princes thereof, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. Proverbs 28 and verse 2. Wouldn't you like to see our nation prolonged in peace and prosperity? Should we not get to an old-fashioned altar tonight and ask God to have mercy on us and to forgive the sin of our land? I'm just going to ask you, if that's who you are, would you move to this old altar right now? Would you stand without any piano playing and just come forward? And let's do business with God tonight for our country, for our children, for our grandchildren, for our fellow citizens. And ask God to remove this fear from our culture. This fear of the unknown, we've seen it before in so many different areas of our history. Oh, God, would you break my heart from my country that gives us the liberty civilly to preach the liberty spiritually in your son. Help me, Lord, just to learn a little bit more about my nation that I can understand how fortunate we are 